basic model would be in the fall and then the off season in general, it would just be about bat speed mostly for you know 90% of hitters. It's like, let's just build the engine. Let's get guys faster. And I'll tell you from observing now, we've had 200 plus hitters in here at every level. The best hitters, man, they, they move fast. And it's the biggest difference between amateur and pro hitters. And people love to talk about all the this mystic knowledge about hitting and all the gurus have all their opinion, but I'm telling you about speed plays. And, and that's the thing that I work on with most of our hitters. It's like, well, you, you just don't move fast enough. And as soon as we start collecting more data and understanding this stuff, it's going to be no different than pitching to where it's like, you know, when you throw 81, you're probably not going to play professional baseball. Yep. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't hit a ball 100 miles an hour, then you're probably not going to play pro baseball. And, you're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina, Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Episode 95, guys. As we keep marching towards our 100th show, it's amazing to reflect on how we got to this point. And for those loyal listeners that are out there, we are just getting this train rolling. More terrific guests to come, more content that can change the course of your coaching career. So stay dialed into the show, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Subscribe, review, and share. Those are the keys to growing this network of listeners. On your phone, your computer, your tablet, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. Leave us a review on there. Ratings are always great to see. Helps more people find the show. Plus, go the extra step and share this show on your social media platforms. Taking a vested interest in challenging someone in your baseball circle to dive in and get better along with you. We appreciate that. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. We're still holding on to our MySpace page. We really feel like that's going to come back in a big way soon. Find us at ABCA1945. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaches fraternity here is all about. Just an FYI, membership registration is open for this upcoming year if you want to knock that out and then mark down September 1st on your calendars. That's when registration will open up for our ABCA convention in Dallas, Texas. You could make sure you reserve your spot for that. You could also jump on board and call and reserve your hotel rooms. Get your ducks in a row for January 3rd through the 6th in Dallas. You will not want to miss out on four days of baseball heaven. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly if I can help you out in some way on Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We love the notes that have come in over the past few weeks from one from my good friend, Tom Fiala. Appreciate the email and the kind words, Tom. We've gotten tweets from Michael Weaver over at Olatangi Berlin High School, Jordan Miller earning his degree in Automobile University, Russell Luce from Chandler Gilbert in Arizona. He's growing while he was mowing. Love that, Russ. And then Dale Lever dialing into a show, popping in the earbuds and getting a solid workout in. That's what's so great about podcasts, guys. They are always there for you to digest on your time. 
when you're ready. It's a terrific medium for us to use for professional and personal development. So thanks again, guys, for the shares last week. Always proud to send a shout out to our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. Now we're on the back side of a year and a half into AstroTurf jumping on board with us and sponsoring these shows. And we just wanted to take a minute and say thank you. We appreciate their commitment to helping us provide these shows for the baseball coaching community. AstroTurf is in with us to help positively change the culture of coaching by providing educational content that'll challenge all of us. So again, thank you guys. If you want more information, find out what these folks are doing for facilities around the country, head over to their website, astroturf.com. That's astroturf.com. And find out why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. So for all of us in the baseball community, no matter what level or involvement you have, it's been obvious that the game and how it's being coached has shifted towards technology and new verbiage, embracing data and numbers, and this alone has had its own effect on coaches around the world. Now we've worked hard to embrace this change, to dive in head first and bring this info to the airwaves for our coaches, helping us all learn more about how we can get better as coaches. And that's what we're working to do on this show and this week, where we connect with Driveline Baseball's Director of Hitting, Jason Ochart, to help us see how we can use this data to drive our path towards developing players on the offensive side of the baseball. Now, we love the guys at Driveline. They've been ultra supportive of us here in the national office. We had Kyle Bodie, a former podcast guest, on episode 34 with Alan Jager and Eric Cressy but also having Driveline partner with us on the double level as they want to work along with us to deliver more educational content to coaches. So inside this show, we get Jason to open up his transition to bringing his sports science background into the cages with him, but also walking out of the college baseball dugout and into the private instructor space, maybe more importantly, into an environment that's giving him a hitting lab to work inside testing and retesting with his hitters to develop individual specific plans that will bring the absolute best out of each and every one of his players. You know, the best part of all of this is that no matter where you are and what your budget is, I think you'll hear that we're not very far away from bringing this into your program. And that comes through the airways for you guys. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. We've gotten the T-work done. We pop the back, grab your best lumber. Let's jump in the cages with Driveline Baseball's Jason Ochart. He is our guest on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. And get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. I am beyond fired up for this episode as we're going to dive into the ins and outs of developing hitters, assessing hitters, and how to bring the most out of those guys while they're in the batter's box. And to do that, we got to bring on an ace in the hole, one of the very best young baseball minds that I know out in our game. I want to welcome in a guy who's entering his second year at Driveline Baseball, an ABCA double partner. I want to welcome the director of hitting, Jason Ochart. Chart, thanks for jumping on the call with us. Sure thing, Sheets. I really appreciate it. Huge fan of the podcast, and it's truly an honor to be here. That's awesome, man. We're excited to have you. And again, as you know, as we open up our shows, and I'm excited to let you open this up, is when we talk about your ABCA experience over the years, attending conventions, I know those ABCA videos mean something to you. We've talked about that and also with your former boss. <laughs> uh, but just attending convention, and you've seen it from both sides as a coach and then as an exhibitor. Uh, and then just talk about Driveline, you guys being a new double partner of ours here at ABCA. Talk about the entire experience of being part of this fraternity. Sure thing, man. I mean, 
I uh, was able to attend Anaheim. That was my first convention, and I was just blown away at just the culmination of minds. You know, I mean, everything from the trade show to the, to the presentations and even just the people around, the conversations that were being had on the floor and, and, and you know, down over some sodas <laughs> sure. in, the, in the hotel. It's, it was just an incredible experience. And even before that, as a young coach, my boss, as you mentioned, Jake McKinley, he said, um, you know, anytime you want to watch one of these ABCA videos, just let me know. And we'll, we'll swipe the old card and we'll get it done. <laughs> and I tell you, he must have regretted that decision because we were crushing videos <laughs> night in, night out. We and, loved uh, it. <laughs> On our yeah, I'm sure you did. And I tell you what, man, it, it made me so much better because as a coach with a low budget and we couldn't really travel around and, and, and do a lot of this stuff, we were able to sit in our living room and just furiously take notes and learn from the best in the game. So I think it's one of the best resources around. And I give it a lot of credit for um, being able to help my players at a young age as a coach was just being able to sit down and and just learn from some of these guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, how about attending it on the other side of the fence? So not being the coach, but then being an exhibitor, and then you get the chance to really have the interactions. I know you're all's booth. There is some high traffic around what you guys <laughs> have going. So how did how was that experience for you? It was great, you know, and I think that uh, they warned me beforehand. They said it's going to be mayhem, and <laughs> and I thought I was prepared, but. Dude, like you said, our, our booth was crazy and it's nonstop and it's just such a cool experience because you talk to so many guys, many of whom I've already met and many that, um, you know, I've known through the internet and I finally get a chance to shake their hand and meet them in real life. Mm -hmm. So that experience was awesome and just being able to, uh, to learn from all these guys. I mean, it's just a crazy, crazy event and, and people are there from all over the country and in the world even all with the same goal and they're all just trying to help their players and, and get better. So the environment alone is just, it's just mind blowing and being an exhibitor was overwhelming for sure. Mm -hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but definitely fun. It's an exhausting weekend, but, but we love it <laughs> on every front for everybody. That's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> and it's awesome again, from where we set to get Kyle and Mike and you guys to see the value in becoming a, a full blown partner with us. And you guys have already provided so much great content. You've been uh, excellent up on the Expo Theater stage, delivering terrific presentations. And we certainly expect that to keep moving forward. And we're going to open up a lot of those elements that I think help define what driveline is. And I have to as well, you talked about Jake McKinley. Jake was on our show, episode 78, Dugout Chatter with Jake McKinley, the head coach at William Jessup University. Again, that's a fantastic episode that I'm, I know Jason was excited to see come out. But it's one that you should go back to. And again, Jake's a huge ABCA fan, uh, talks about in depth how they would project these up on the living room wall and just and dive into them. And, and again, I think you two defined our lifelong learners. And again, that's what makes you a no brainer to jump on this podcast. Now, I think for our, our coaches paying attention to this, Jason, as we dive into this entire conversation, give them the platform to work from, give them the, the snapshot, the cliff notes version of your career in baseball that's led you to where you are right now. But then another caveat is just give us the lesson learned on each step in that journey. Open that up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good question. Well, my background was, um, you know, I played in the I baseball and I played Division II baseball and JC ball. So that's kind of my background <laughs> as a player. And, nice. and, you know, if you look into my career, it was not nothing too exciting. And uh, I was able to go into coaching at a young age. And, you know, my younger brother was playing at Menlo College. So I was able to get a job there. And, and um, you know what, it was something where I had studied sports science in college. And I was fortunate to work for Jake, 
And my idea was, you know, let's just apply some of the stuff that I'm learning mm-hmm. to the coaching of hitters and, and uh, we'll see what happens, you know, and we were able to have some success and we had some good players and, and um, you know, Jake was an incredible leader and really helped me develop as a young coach. And, you know, I started putting some stuff on Twitter and it caught the attention of Kyle over at driveline and he was interested in getting into hitting. So we started talking and, and, you know, he flew me up for a job interview and, and he, you know, we kind of aligned our, uh, our perspective on training players. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I ended up at driveline was Twitter, you know, and I, I give Twitter honestly a lot of credit for my development as a coach in general. I mean, it's just such a great resource and it's free. And, uh, and, you know, so much of what I've learned over the years has been from getting ideas from other people that are willing to share. Yeah. Let's go back to those, those tweets. Cause those were a lot of home runs that the Oaks were hitting. I, I remember seeing those <laughs> going, man, I'm so glad I was coaching D three at the time that we were never going to play you guys. Um, but take us into this, just stop at the, at the playing career. When you finish that up, what was maybe the lesson that was glaring to you, especially probably looking back now, what was the thing that stood out to you that you learned as a player? And then obviously your stop at Menlo, what were the things that really jumped off to you? And then obviously being a driveline for the last couple of years, what are the lessons that jump off to you? I'd say as a player, my lesson learned was, uh, you know, humility okay. was figuring out that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know everything. Uh, I think that was, a uh, an experience that most guys learn. And especially as I got towards the end of my senior year, I really started to study sports science and I started to, um, question how I think about things. And I started to question how I was training myself and how I was training my younger brother. And uh, I realized that a lot of these ideas didn't align. So I started to really question some of the conventional wisdoms that um, had ruled my thinking in the past. Okay. So I think that was, as I shifted to coaching, was like, okay, maybe yeah, I kind of hit rock bottom. I was like, wow, I, don't, I actually don't know anything. <laughs> so that's a good place to start. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then as a, at Menlo, I'd say the lesson I learned most was creativity, you okay. know, because you had to really work through constraints and I think most small coaches know that you know we didn't have like I have now a, a hit tracks and a research team all that stuff it was just you know a bunch of guys that love baseball one cage with you know holes in our L screen and a, some baseballs we had to, to make it work and yeah. <laughs> being able to uh, to just figure it out and, and learn and develop as a coach through uh you know through some constraints was, was definitely a, a learnable you know a, a teachable moment for me Appreciate you opening that up. Let's get into, I think, overview of driveline baseball because it, it's not what it looks like on the surface. I mean, I think if you followed social media, you think you have an idea what's going on there, but it's so much more. And I was beyond thankful a few months ago to be able to stop in. I was in Seattle, yeah. had the chance to go over and hang out with Kyle for a little bit, and, sh- and he got to really show me the ins and outs of the entire operation. So I'm charging you with that right now, Jason. Yeah. Give us the overview of driveline baseball and just tell us what's going on up there in Kent, Washington. Sure. I mean, I'll briefly touch upon how it started. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kyle was a data scientist over at Microsoft and, you know, he's interested in baseball and, and developing baseball. So he started training some guys in his garage and uh, he was really, passionate about trying to design a a data-driven training method. And that's really our motto as a company. And I'd say the really basic formula is just the test-retest model. So essentially, we uh, figure out what we want to measure. We we, uh, 
you know, we work with some athletes, we test it and then retest it. If they've gotten better, then, you know, it works. If not, then we, we readjust. And I think that's, uh, it's very simple, but it's kind of how we've evolved over the years, which is continually testing our ideas and, and trying to make things better and, and sharpening our, our perceptions on what's actually working. And, you know, it's like when driveline started, they weren't actually a weighted ball company. It was something that Kyle decided one day to test. And then he was like, okay, this is actually working. Maybe we can keep refining it, and it's kind of ended up to what it is now. But for our ultimate goal is just to learn about player development in baseball and continue to, to, to push push things forward and question how we're doing things and and really just continue to get better and use the technology that we have available now to its full capacity. And I think that's where we really align well and what's really been uh, – the big push from other people, at least in their interest with us, is we have all this new tech with pitching and hitting. We have all these toys, all this ability to capture and collect data and information. And coaches and organizations, they just want to know how do we use it, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a big disconnect there, and it's naturally the case because a lot of this stuff is new. It's brand new. So yeah. coaches are looking to us to say, okay, we have all this stuff but how do we actually make our players better in the cage on the mound in practice how do we apply this data and make it actionable so i think that's really where we've shifted our focus and uh it's been it's been pretty fun so far it's an interesting dynamic because you now serve in that space as a non-traditional coach in essence the facility private instructor role and, uh, you know, you talked us through that process of taking this job and the opportunity coming about and, and you and Kyle get on the same page of where this thing could go. But it has to be because I've, I've been in that spot as well, leaving coaching to get out and do a facility job. And then I decided, man, I need to get back onto the field because I missed that dynamic. Was that hard for you leaving college baseball, especially what you guys were doing there at Menlo? It was. It was really hard. It's, it's hard every year, especially in the spring. Yeah. There, <laughs> you know, when, there is a spring depression for guys that have gotten <laughs> out of it. We, we all need to band together and start some type of uh, community because it is. It's it's very real. Yeah. And I love baseball, man. I love wearing the uniform. I love being outside and hitting fungos and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. it is tough. It is tough. But, you know, I never thought I'd, I'd move to this kind of private sector. But, you know, when I got the opportunity and I learned a little bit more about driveline. It really intrigued me because I realized like I could really, really learn here, the resources they have here and the personnel around. It just, it's a really good experience for me to grow as a coach. And then also the platform they have to share stuff was really appealing. And, um, you know, I was kind of on the fence about it. And then I flew up for the interview. And once I met Kyle and met the other trainees and Mike and, and, uh, talk to the athletes, I realized that this isn't just, you know, a business. These are guys that are obsessed with baseball, guys that really, really do care about helping coaches and helping players and, and parents of baseball players and softball players. And it, it's really been, um, you know, a good experience. So when I came up and I met them, it was really just, it was a slam dunk for me to take this job. And, and it's been a good couple of years so far. That's great. You know, I think of a, an interesting parallel Jason, again, knowing you for as many years as we have, we used to work a lot of camps together. So I always think that that dynamic's really neat, especially um, I think about it personally, coming from coaching to the ABCA. So coming into an administrative role is is a transition itself, just like the one you went through as well. And there's but there's elements that are good and bad. You now have a different viewpoint that 
uh, I may be mistaken, but no one else in that community at driveline really had. They didn't have the coach perspective that you now brought. So now your eyes and your viewpoint are much different. And, and sometimes you open you know, a conversation with Kyle and you open his mind a little bit. Man, I never even saw that side of it. Can you just explain to us as to how your experience was coming as a small college coach, how that helped you there at driveline? Totally, man. I think – that's so important. And yes. we talk to coaches every day. I mean, and having some reality with them is just so helpful. Yeah. And again, speaking to the disconnect between just data and analytics in general and actual coaches, I think there's a lot that gets lost in translation. Yes. So being able to, to be a hybrid, if you will, and we kind of have everyone on the nerd to coach spectrum at driveline. So <laughs> I find myself sort of right in the middle. So I can, I can really, you know, like, translate things both directions and i think that a lot of times coaches see big words and and all this fancy all this data and all this stuff and they, they get overwhelmed by it and yep. and vice versa like the, the guys that you know are, are in the tech side of things and the data side of things they don't necessarily speak the language of coaches yep. so i think that being able to bridge that gap is really important and um something that i found uh fun actually because we're all rooting for the same thing right we're all trying to we have the same goal and and i think being able to understand what coaches go through and you know people don't realize that when you're a small college coach it's like you're not just the baseball coach you're the field crew you're a <laughs> no counselor doubt. you know it's, yeah. you're, you name it man sports psychologist you name it there's <laughs> very many jobs so so understanding what they go through and kind of what the daily life is like has is, been helpful in our uh, in our you know just overall development as a, as a facility. That's it. I was just laughing at it to myself. I think the, uh, the JT McGuire line of embrace the weird, I think you just coined embrace the nerd, <laughs> you know, exactly. embrace that nerdy side. And that's, it's so funny, the more that you get involved with it. And, and certainly as a guy, as a coach, it had no piece of analytics or data that it wasn't right in my wheelhouse. And so, uh, but on this side of the fence, it's much easier. I don't have stake in the game. So I get a chance to learn from a completely different perspective. And you do have to embrace that side of things. And it, it is scary and it, it does involve change. Um, and, and some of the things you'll learn will challenge where you're at as a coach and what you were teaching. But I think that, that's the beauty of growth. It's got to get uncomfortable for you. Yep. I got to ask this question. I know we're going to get to hitting and every listener is like, hey, man, let's let's swing the bat a little bit. But I got to ask this question because it's always unique when you do get out and then you think about the possibility or the opportunity to ever go back. So if you were to ever go back and coach college or even on a high school level, what would you do different? What would you do different now with the perspective that you have? What would your practice structure look like? Because I know that idea has changed between your ears and the training environment. What would you do different if you went back? Yeah, when I reflect on my coaching career, some of the things I do differently were, were one, I would talk a lot less about mechanics, <laughs> to be yep. honest. Yep. And I think that as a, as a young coach with the anatomy and physiology uh, background, biomechanics background, I would got really, really um technical yep. you know i was super filming everything and breaking everything down and i think i spent so much time with certain you know with particular hitters especially i spent a lot of time working on their swing and, and they became so focused on how they were moving they forgot to, to swing where the ball is i think a lot of that was my fault by focusing them on movement and not so much hitting you know <laughs> making contact with the ball and helping the team win yeah so i, I tell people often I, I think the camera like the phone camera iphone camera is the best and worst thing that's ever happened to baseball hitting and coaching mm. Mm. and i think that i would i would coach the environment more 
And, you know, I really understand that communication is only as good as it's received. And I think a lot of times I use big words and I wanted to sound smart. But at the end of the day, like it wasn't connecting with guys and it wasn't actually helping. So that's the first thing I would change is kind of how I communicated with the uh, actual athlete. And then as far as like structure, basic model would be in the fall and then the off season in general, it would just be about bat speed mostly mm-hmm. for, you know, 90% of hitters. It's like, let's just build the engine. Let's get guys faster. And I'll tell you, um, from observing now, we've had 200 plus hitters in here at every level. The best hitters, man, they, they move fast. And it's the biggest difference between amateur and pro hitters. And people love to talk about all the this mystic knowledge about hitting and all the grooves. I have all their opinion, but I'm telling you, bat speed plays. And, and that's the thing that I work on with most of our hitters. It's like, well, you, you just don't move fast enough. And as soon as we start collecting more data and understanding this stuff, it's going to be no different than pitching to where it's like, you know, when you throw 81, you're probably not going to play professional baseball. Yep. <laughs> if you can't, if you can't hit a ball 100 miles an hour, then you're probably not going to play pro baseball. And and uh, you know, I think bat speed would be the the main goal of the fall and the off season. And as we progress to in season, uh, shift it more towards barrel precision and adjustability, and and really just like being the best hitter you are with the swing that you have now. You know, and I think yes. that a good metaphor is, you know, if you're if you're a golfer and you're hitting a slice on the driving range. It's like you can either fix it or or just play it that round. That's you know, right. I think with hitters, a lot of times they they try and make adjustments on their swing mid-game or mid-season, and a lot of times you end up spiraling out of control. So just focusing more on, on actual like precision, quickness, adjustability, vision, approach, stuff like that is kind of how we would start to progress oh, training come spring. That's awesome. I love that word, man. That was one that Darren Everson brought out at a Barnstormers event. And um, it's one I, I certainly I heard it along the way somewhere, but it just clicked and it made a whole lot of sense. Training for adjustability at the plate, especially based on what we see on the higher levels. Um, you mentioned coaches from every level it, it, coming to see Driveline. And I love to see, I almost feel like you know, your social media platform from all different angles is so uh, we're so well informed as followers. So we, we see the guys that show up, we follow the retweets, we see the guys that are making time to stop in there and connect and learn uh, and sit down and have really good conversations or watch the way that you guys are training guys. And so I'm asking you as a, from coach to coach, you know, when those guys show up, how's that experience been for you? And then, and then I, I think a, a follow-up would be, what are their takeaways? The, you know, the, the post two days, three days later, when you do reconnect, yeah. where's their mindset at? And then also where's yours at? What, what do you, what do you both give and take from those experiences? Sure thing. I mean, I'll, I'll open by saying it's really, really humbling. And you know, the, when I first started, it was like awkward, you know, people are walking in coaches, some really good prominent coaches walking in with a notepad or a camera and there's filming us work with hitters, you know? And to me, it's just like, if you told me this two years ago, I would have laughed at you. Well, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> no, one, no, no one would care. But uh, it, it is humbling. And I'd say the, the main takeaway for me has been how much these guys learn and the questions they ask. And these guys that are successful coaches are they're the best learners. And you'd think it'd be the opposite. You know, when you see these guys that have come in with a ton of wins, a ton of professional players, and, and they're the ones with – a notebook that's just jam-packed yeah. from not just us, but from everyone, anyone they can learn from. These guys that are 
winning and they and a lot of times they're they don't display it or they don't talk about it they're not on twitter or anything but they're crushing it they they see everything they learn everything and they're just you know readers not tweeters like i say they're out there just soaking all this stuff in and and it's been no surprise to me that the guys without an ego the ones that are always out there trying to develop and stay with the times and, and be ahead of the times even are um, you know at the top of the game and i think that it's been uh, it's been crazy to see some of these guys and how smart they are. That's great. Love the readers, not tweeters. That's outstanding. <laughs> um, so let's get into some of this hitting stuff. And there's so much that we want to cover in, in as much ground as we can. What does it look like when a hitter comes and he's ready to train at driveline? What does it look like? How do you, as the director of hitting, how do you establish what that guy needs to work on. I know it's data driven. I know it's testing, but the details inside of that would be great. Just take us inside of it. I know I'm, I'm going to scratch this itch when we talk about assessment. So I just wanted to tee that up for you and let you just run. Sure thing, man. I, I could talk for a long time about this, but I'll, I'll get to the point. <laughs> and if I ramble, <laughs> just let me know. But uh, no, the, ass- the assessment really is the, uh, it's the most important part of the whole training process, I think. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it is, is the athlete comes in and for about four to five days, we are simply collecting data and trying to understand their swing because they, to me, I mean, training time is so precious and we need to make sure that we're actually addressing issues. So being sure that we actually measure what's happening and and really truly understand what the athlete needs is step one before we can design a program for him. And sure. as you know, and anyone that's coached knows every athlete's different. Everyone's got a little bit, uh, their programming is a little different. They all got to work on different things. And, you know, if we give every hitter the same deal, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It might help some guys, but, but we're, we're selling short for some people. And that's right. I'll kind of go through the whole process, but yep. the first thing we look at is their batted ball profile. And essentially what that is, is we're looking at, their bad ball metrics, right? We're looking at how hard they hit the ball, like their peak exit velocity and also their average okay. velocity at the end of a hitting session. So I talk about average a lot simply because, um, you know, we have two hitters that both can hit a ball 100. If one guy can hit the ball 91 at the end of the hitting session, the other guy's average is 75. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious who the better hitter is. So I think looking at average is huge because it, it – quantifies the ability to barrel the ball and that number is really correlated to in-game success and there's a lot of guys that can hit the ball hard in bp but can you consistently barrel the ball off a machine and throw an 85 90 right that's that's what i care about and it's worth noting that all this data this battle ball profile data is all off of high velocity game like speed simply because um i don't really care how a guy performs off a tee or off front so i know a lot of guys can do that <laughs> I want, I want to see how you how you do it at game speed. And, and uh, the other thing we look at is launch angle, you know, where you're hitting the ball, um, how hard you're hitting it at that launch angle, line drive percentage, and then, um, you know, just a number of things. And I think where it really starts to get interesting is we break it down by field, by zone, and by point of contact. So I'll, I'll kind of go through that. But by field, I can look at how hard you hit the ball, oppo versus the center versus the pull side. Uh, what are your launch angles to each? What's your line drive percentage? And I can start to understand and see, like, okay, here's a hitter that can maintain his velo at all fields, right? This is a good pure hitter. You can hit the ball hard at all fields. Yeah. Or other guys, you can see that their average velo is 85 to pull side, 83 to center field, 65 to right field. 
Right. And that's something that in the assessment would jump out as, okay, this guy needs to work on opposite field hitting. There's a huge drop off. And uh, same with launch angle. A lot of guys, a very common issue is that to their pull side, they hit the ball on the ground. They just roll over a ton. Right. So looking at pull side launch angle is, is something that is pretty common. And then even splitting it by zone. So I can tell a hitter at the end of his assessment, this is how hard you hit the ball on the top of the zone. This is how hard you hit the ball when it's on the on the outer third, bottom third, inner third. This is your launch angle. This is your line drive percentage. And I can even look at point of contact depth. So I can say, you know, I can look at two hitters, for instance. One guy can maintain hard hits. They can hit the ball hard through a two-foot window, whereas one guy only has eight inches of hard hit contact. So that guy that has the small window of depth, he's cutting across the zone, and he doesn't really have a bat path that's allowing him any adjustability as far as depth-wise. So these are kind of the things we look at. And, you know, by the time we collect all this data, we can really start to understand how the hitter is impacting the ball and and then start to target their programming for it. So if a guy has, let's say, a a terrible – uh, terrible data on the high pitch and then off of breaking balls or launch angle sucks. We can start to, you know, build out their program to fix those issues. And then again, retest it later and see if it's improved. But, uh, but that's the batter ball profile. Other thing we look at is the actual swing metrics. So I'm looking at bat speed. I'm looking at swing quickness is a big one. And we do this with blast motion. So, um, attack angles, another one, what's the angle your bat is going at impact with the ball. These are things that, um, are really, really important when measuring hitters, and they can also start to tell a story about the batter ball profile. So if we see a hitter that maybe hits a, you know, a ton of ground balls or his exit velo when, the, when the, it gets up 20 degrees, 30 degrees, really drops off. A lot of times their attack angle's working down, so they're kind of clipping the ball and hitting a ton of spin, and mm-hmm. they don't maintain velocity at, at different launch angles. So that's a big part of it. And then... Um, Looking at their biomechanics too, we use KBEST, which essentially gives us their rotational speeds of their hips, shoulders, arm, and hand. And I know this is getting kind of <laughs> technical, no, no. but yeah. but but uh, understanding how they sequence is extremely important because when you look at the guys that sequence well, they're able to generate bat speed at a seemingly low effort. Right? It's the guys that yeah. move well and they can really just kind of flow. They have some fluidity to them because they're sequencing correctly. And a lot of times guys that are out of whack, maybe their their hips and shoulders are not moving together correctly or there's a disconnect between their shoulders and their wrist and they're, they're releasing their wrist early or something like that. You really can tell, like the, a good coach can tell that something's wonky, something's off. They're really having to put too much effort into the swing. It, it looks like they're trying too hard. And a lot of times it's simply because they're just they're sequencing incorrectly. So we'll look at that, and if they have issues, we'll, again, like, target it and try and clean it up. And then, um, you know, we also look at uh, just general pitch recognition skills, too. Like, do you swing out the right pitches? Um, how well do you how well do you pick up spin? Stuff like that. I mean, there's so much into it. And then, and then we also go into strength and mobility, too, because that's obviously a really important part of the whole equation. A lot of times we can target a swing flaw, and we can tell the hitter all day, you have to do this, but in actuality, we're asking them to do something that their body physically can't do. That's right. And that's been really common. You know, for instance, if a hitter is flying open with his hips and he's not decelerating his hips, a lot of times it's simply because they're 
they're weak. They're, there's an issue, there's a, a mobility issue or a stability issue in their front hip, and they simply can't do it. So we get them in the weight room, we get them to see our physical therapist, start to work on that strength and stability, and then we see the movement clean up. So I think that um, integrating the strength and the skill teams together in helping athletes has been really helpful too. And that's also part of our assessment. And uh, like I mentioned, the physical therapist too on staff sees them and makes sure they're all working correctly. And their motor control uh, assessment is awesome and been really helpful for guys. So we really just kind of leave no stone unturned. You know, we really just collect all this data, figure out exactly what's going on with this particular hitter. And then, uh, you know, once we understand it, we can start to design a program that's customly designed for them. I bet I've got <laughs> 10 follow-up questions from that. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to whittle this down. The first one uh, being this. Let, let a coach that's on here, and maybe he's, he's heard of Exit Velo, he's heard of Launch Angle, but he can't break that down into numbers and in terms of how they relate on the field. I still... I'm a firm believer there's a lot of guys out there that are resisting this, but they're, they haven't dove in enough to understand it. And you, you and I were in a really good place as coaches because this was all starting to come into the showcase scouting evaluation part of things. So we were forced to really understand how it played on the field, but there may be some coaches out there that don't have that. Can you give them like a – I'm talking the Cliff Notes crash course version of the data and metrics that we're really talking about around hitting? Yeah. Yeah, I mean the two main ones, exit velocity and launch angle, are – Again, like you, you see them everywhere, and I think they are misunderstood a lot. And I think I heard a quote once that, that really explains this whole situation. I, I had a coach that told me he doesn't believe in exit below or launch angle. He just wants his guys to hit it hard and square it up. Yeah. And to me, it's like that, that's exactly what we're measuring. Yeah. And being able to, to consistently hit the ball hard and, and to hit line drives and, and to square up the baseball is uh, essentially what these numbers mean. And you know, they, they get tricky, but at the end of the day, like it, it's it's a way to measure performance and it's a way to, to assess hitters and see if guys can succeed in the game. You know, and I think that that's ultimately what we want as trainers, right? And as coaches, it's like, I don't care how guys perform anywhere else. Like what matters is preparing them for the game. And being able to hit the ball hard, which is exit velocity, and, and to square it up, which is the launch angle, is is uh, crucial. Yeah, and I think that when we start to look at this data, we can really start to understand how to design a hitter for his particular strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's where the launch angle comes in. We have to make sure that we're giving our hitter the best chance to succeed. And we give guys ideal launch angles based on how how, how hard they hit the ball. A lot of times we have guys that come in, they think they're power hitters and they want to hit the ball 35, 40 degrees. And you just tell them like, look, you, you don't hit the ball hard enough. Like you gotta be, you gotta be 10 to 20. And that's where the data comes in as well. And as far as just getting up some reality on what those numbers mean, we don't have a single pro that can't hit a ball a hundred. I'd say most of our division one players can hit the ball over a hundred miles per hour. Uh, most high school kids are in the low nineties. I'm talking peak exit velocity here. Yep. And as far as launch angle, you know, most guys want to live between 10 and 25. I mean, I think guys are hitting like 700 in that range. And uh, that's something that, um, you know, we, we give all our hitters that, that range. And the guys that got extra pop, they got some juice, maybe we can work above that. But but that's kind of how we work with that stuff. Gotcha. And you mentioned KVEST. What are some of the other technologies that you're utilizing 
to capture this data and then a second follow-up. This is one of my 10, so let me just get to the second <laughs> follow-up would be for the guy paying attention at home that's trying to beat the budget. How could he – it doesn't seem like he's that far off from being able to accomplish this and get these the profile and get these metrics, but how would he go about that trying to beat the budget? Yeah, I mean, we use – you said KBEST, we use uh, – hit tracks to collect all this data. We also have a hitting wrap Soto. And as far as on a budget, I mean, I can tell you that we use a, a stalker, just a standard radar gun to, to test this stuff. And there's some limitations on it. You really, you have to hit the ball down the line of the radar for it to be accurate. But that's one way to, to kind of do some exit below testing with your guys. And we would just do like bi-weekly testing and see uh, if guys are improving. And then as far as a launch angle, like you could put up strings in your cage and just create games. You know, that's how many can you hit between 10 and 20 or whatever range you want to set up. That's a, a super low budget way to, to just increase the focus level in the cage. Because I think a lot of guys get in there and they just kind of just start exercising and they're not really locked in. But you start to get in that external focus of just seeing those strings and trying to, to drive balls through it. It could be a, a really easy, low budget way to start to apply some of this stuff. It's outstanding. And the last little follow-up I'll go to is when you think about two different guys, and I'm going to see how, how you would put your hands on these guys and really start to, to move them in the right direction. One is the example you gave, the guy that's it's ground balls on the pull side and really low exit velos on the oppo side or probably flares or, or balls in the air. That kid, what would you do for him? And then the other one would be a sequencing issue. And you you choose whatever you want, probably the, most, the one you see the most. And how do you go about assessing that? How do you go about then correcting both those players and moving them different ways? I think that for a hitter that's pulling the ball on the ground a ton, um, simply we'll just design drills that are going to exploit the flaw, that are going to make it really hard. So we'll have him... We'll have him uh, closed off and hitting balls to the center of the cage. We'll have him pulling balls, uh, uh, pulling plyo balls, which we have, are really, really hard to square up. And it's funny because you'll see them just fail over and over and over. And over time, they start to discover the pattern that they need to succeed in the drill. And then um, you start to see them make the changes. But I would say that the basic model is to feed the mistake. So you have a kid that sucks at hitting the ball oppo, like their exit velo drops off a ton in the right field, then all they're going to do is hit balls to the right field, and we're going to give them an underload, drive the ball to right field. You're going to hit plyo balls. You're going to be um, changing your, your stance to really work on your barrel direction and, and really just feeding the mistake until they start to discover the, the pattern that, that cleans it up. Mm -hmm. And then that's where the coaching of the environment is so powerful in that you can let the hitter uh, you can let the hitter discover his own feel because everyone's a little different, and I think a lot of times coaches fall in that trap of thinking everyone feels what they felt as a hitter. But yeah. you got f five hitters that all are working on say hitting the high pitch. You know, I got three of them that got to feel top half. I got one of them that's got to think about his top hand, and one's got to think about you know his lead elbow, whatever. I, I honestly don't care. I'm more concerned about creating the environment to challenge these hitters and, and force them to find the pattern that they need and find the feel that they need to succeed in the movement. And I think that's where the, the coaching style comes in. That's good. That's really good. Okay, let's let's keep moving this conversation forward, man. You mentioned talking and, and working and, and figuring out the difference between these pro hitters 
and the amateur hitters. And there's certainly glaring physical elements that stand off to you. Yeah. Um, I think mentally there's definitely some things to dive into there in terms of where they're at because uh, they're both bringing such different viewpoints to the cage. So what are the differences that you see, the, the glaring ones that, that come off and just kind of open up more into that relationship between the two different styles of hitters that you really have? Uh, I would say, I mean, physically it is a clear difference. And, you know, the baseball uniform is not too flattering. But yeah. it's always good for our amateurs to see the pros come in and, and just see, like, they're just pretty big, strong dudes. They're physical. You know, they got big legs, big butt, back, shoulders. Like, they're just, you know, typically pretty strong. And then uh, I think the biggest difference, though, is just mentally and how they go about their day and how they go about their business. I mean, the pros are just very, very organized and deliberate with everything they do. I mean, they, they have a plan every day. They are business-like. They're typically on time. They're prepared. They're, they're clean, you know, like their, their clothes are clean. They're ma- they match. They, they're not wrinkled. They're not disheveled. You know what I mean? It's sure. just so much of yeah. it. It's, uh, it's so fascinating to observe. And, and the pros, like they, when they come in, it's like we meet after the assessment and it's like, I want X, Y, and Z. This is how we're going to do it. Mm. I want to reach this on this date. And then on the next date, I, you know, they set targets. They have short and long-term goals. And they're just very, very particular in how they go about their business. Whereas a lot of the amateurs are a little, little all over the place. You know, they don't necessarily have a plan. They kind, they kind of get, um, you know, they're just kind of going with the flow type deal. And I've just noticed that the just the general mindset of the professional athletes is just different. They're just very, very on top of their stuff. And that's just with training, but also not just with training, but in general, you know, like they're, sure. they're just, they're just professional. I know that's the yeah. definition of the word, but, but they're just very <laughs> professional about how they go about things. How much overlap do those two demographics have? And, and my hope would be, and hopefully we, you see that, that the, the pro player, takes at times a little vested interest in those amateur guys. Do they have that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mentorship that goes on. And that's something I'm really proud of. It's just the culture here yep. because uh, the athletes help each other as much as we help them. I really believe that. And especially at the pro level, I mean, cause I didn't play pro ball. So if somebody asked me about, you know, how to, how to make your body feel good and extended spring training, like I, I don't got an answer, but I, yeah. I know someone who does. Yeah. Right. So I think that, um, a lot of our athletes just, they come here and they train full time. So they're hanging out in the lounge, they're living together and they're just obsessing over baseball all the time and talking all the time. And they're a tremendous resource for each other. And even with the pitchers and hitters, you know, like after every live at bat session, they just sit down and they talk, okay, this is why I threw this to you. This is why, you know, I, I swing at this pitch. This is how I would approach you in this situation. And it's just like this tremendous think tank that um, as a coach is like really proud because it's a proud moment for me because I can sit back and just watch and observe sure. and think that like, you know, this isn't about me right now. This is about providing a resource for these guys and, and uh, for the amateurs too, just to see what it looks like and the data, you know, sometimes it's, it, it can hurt too. You know, that's yeah. the thing that you see uh, both hitting and pitching. It's like when you, you watch a professional come in and you see every time they hit the ball exactly how hard it is and how far it's going, it can be demoralizing. And, yeah. you know, there's two ways to go about it. It's like you can get sad or you can get better. And I think for our amateurs, it's, it's a reality check every day when they can see a pro come in and 
they really just understand the gap between where they are and where they want to be. So I think that's help, you know, it's healthy and it's helpful. Sure. You mentioned the technology and the, and the data, uh, it can have a super positive effect, but it can have a, a paralyzing effect, uh, in the cages. When I was at the university of Kentucky, coach Cohen first dropped on me paralysis by analysis sheets. If we get too deep into <laughs> mechanics, if we get too deep into some of these things, then we can actually, you know, bring our hitters and take them backwards. So I guess from you, where you all sit being a, in a facility that's so driven by technology and data and the, the accessibility of those things, how do you keep those elements from paralyzing your hitters? Yeah, that's such a good question, man. I think that step one is just understanding the athlete mm-hmm. and how they learn and their interest level in this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at a young age, I assumed that all these guys really wanted to learn about this stuff. And I tell you, like some of my favorite trainees are the ones that come in and they say, I don't understand this stuff. I, I don't, but you do. And that's why I'm here. So just tell me what to do every day and let me get to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. that's fine. And I, I, have, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, like I, I have the luxury of studying this stuff full time. Yeah. And, you know, not many people do. And I studied it in college too. So it's like for an athlete to, for me to talk to that athlete with the technical um, jargon, it, it just wouldn't connect. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't lead to anything. So step one is understanding the athlete. And there are a lot of guys that do understand this stuff and they want to be talked to that way. And they want to, you, they want you to explain everything. Yeah. Like I would talk to another trainer and that's a different story. But for the most part, I think that my answer to your question would be, to progress away from the what and immediately to the why and the how. And what I mean by that is if you come in and I tell you, okay, your launch angle on the inside pitch is this and, uh, you know, you, your exit velocity on breaking balls is, is down and, like, your attack angle is this and that. It's like, okay, here are issues that we flagged that need to be fixed. And in the past, I would have just said, okay, go fix it, right? Yeah. Now it's like I immediately jump to the what. And, and, uh, I'm sorry, I, I immediately jump to the why and to the how. So like, this is why you need to be better. This is what our pros are at. This is what the big leaders are at. And this is how I think we can get there. And just really jumping to like the actual action we're going to take is how we get away from the paralysis. And then just telling them, you know what, we're going to test again in two weeks. It's not every day. It's like, we assess you, we see, okay, you have X, Y, and Z issues. We're going to do this training, get after it, and in two weeks, we'll test again. And until then, just trust the training and let's let's try again. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, we'll, we'll reassess what we're doing. But more times than not, it does, and they're all bought in. And then it's like, okay, what's next? And um, just really shifting to the to what the athlete needs to focus on, which is accomplishing the, the task in front of them and just getting after it and, and doing what's, you know, in his plan. You know, this next question, we're talking about the, your background in sports science. So i um, very fortunate to say I have a master's degree in kinesiology, but I think I got mine through the blue eyes discount. I just flashed my baby blues <laughs> around. I, don't, I, I would never, ever put myself close to the understanding that you have, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, and, and there's some stuff that you guys put out that it takes me a, a few trials to, to really understand it and really think through it. So I have to think that, it, Jason, there, there's guys that follow the accounts that just go, man, I'm just not there. I don't have that background. I don't have that knowledge. So how are you, two-part, how do you bring that element, that background in terms of helping coach hitters? But then there's also the guy on the other end of this call that doesn't have that background. How would you move him to be able to approach his hitters in that way? 
Yeah, uh, I would say for me, it's been just continually learning. And, and like I said earlier, man, I have the luxury of doing this full time. Yep. So when I have a question, and I don't understand something. I can carve out a few hours and chances are I can turn around and there's somebody standing next to me that does get it. <laughs> but for someone that doesn't have that luxury, uh, the time or the resources, um, you know, I, I think it's important to, uh, to find somebody and, and, you know, minds around you that you trust with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I always hope guys trust me, but, but, and, and driveline, but I don't expect that to be blind. Like I want you to trust our opinion and our, and our theories based on, um, you know, earned trust. And I think that for a coach that's, you know, he's a history teacher, he's coaching high school baseball. He doesn't have 10 hours a week to study, you know, advanced fluid dynamics to study pitch design. You know right. what I mean? So, uh, for them, it's like, you got to find people in the industry that, that you trust, that you think are, you know what they're talking about and, uh, do the best you can with what you have. And the resources now, I mean, you know, this, like, yeah. like I'm only 28 and when I was in high school, like there was nothing, yeah. there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't even really YouTube. There wasn't a ton of stuff out there where now there's so much that you can get good enough information out there for free. And, and uh, you can be efficient in your time. Mm. I'm guessing that you guys have had some guys come through that you've developed relationships with that have said, hey, that's not my strong suit. And and in working with you guys or through some of those mentoring opportunities have gotten better and, and start to see things differently. Have, can you any success stories like that that might uh, motivate some guys paying attention? Yeah, yeah. I think that the way the game's changing and the way the game is like it always has um, changed, you know, the only thing constant is change, right? That's what Darwin said. And I think that the coaches that uh, have been aware of that understand that, you know, the, they need to, they need to adapt. They need to adapt or die. And a lot of times what guys do is they just hire somebody who does understand the stuff, to be honest. Uh, I found that to be pretty successful. Just hire a student assistant or somebody that is, uh, you know, well-versed in this stuff and, they can kind of help because, uh, you know, we're seeing it at the college level. We're seeing it at the pro level where coaches are, um, you know, they're losing jobs because they're, they're not continuing to grow. And, mm -hmm. and I think what it's interesting in baseball where a lot of times the pressure comes from underneath. And what I mean by that is you have draft picks and you have, uh, you know, um, recruits that are starting to ask, Hey, where can I, you know, what organization is progressive? What, where are the schools that will let me swing weighted bats? What schools will let me throw weighted balls, stuff like that. And you start to put pressure on these coaches from underneath and you're starting to see change. And I think that, uh, it's going to be one of those things where like you really have to, you have to start opening your mind to this stuff because the game is, um, moving that direction, whether you like it or not. And, and the young guys, you know, all those, 12, 13, 14 year olds, they, they all live with it. That's all they know. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the way they see the game and the way they see things, you might lose them. So I, I think that for most coaches, it's, it's survival at this point to continue to learn and, and kind of challenge yourself and, and start to adapt to the way the game's going. That's it. 
just so you know, our first Darwin reference on the podcast. So I'm going to tease a little, little check mark <laughs> next to you. Um, you know, in, in any baseball circle, the conversations around the similarities between pitching and hitting. And I love some of those overlay shots that guys have, have tweeted about and you, you see on social media that show some of the, the movements that are very similar. So I guess from where you sit, being so closely involved with the pitching development at Driveline, how has that helped you with the hitters? What are some things that you're learning on the pitching side of things that have really had great carryover into what you're doing with your guys? Yeah, I would say that the hitting department at Driveline and just the model of the training is really much built. It's built modeled after the pitching. And I looked at kind of how they are able to um, scale a program, an individualized program for a large number of athletes and really built the hitting side after it. And I think to really answer your question, I would say that seeing how much they learn, how much they grow as a department is really inspiring. You know, I think that we're seeing pitching in the last three, four years, even just like crazy how much they're growing and how much they're learning. Yes. I mean, so I'm, I'm like in the belly of the beast, right? Where I see these guys are developing velo, they're developing command, they're designing pitches with with technology. They're learning about pitch tunneling. They're talking about pitch sequencing based on exactly the pitches you have and your release points and how they work off one another and all this stuff. And, you know, I think as hitting development, just in general, I think we're losing. I, th I think we're getting we're getting beat. So for me, it's like I'm a competitor and, and uh, you know, I get to see these guys distancing the gap. And to me, it's like I feel like we run faster when we're chasing something. And uh, to me, it's like these guys are growing and, and they're, they're it's not slowing down either. But the stuff that we're learning and the stuff that uh, these guys are working on, it's just like it's continuing to grow exponentially. And for me, on the hitting side, it's like, OK, we got to start really catching up here because these guys are <laughs> they're off yeah. and running. And uh, it, it is it's exciting, but it's also, um, you know, it, it really it really does keep me on my toes and being able to be entrenched in it and, and to see what they're doing every day. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, we we got to go before it gets too, you know, the gap gets too large. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. All right. When you think about the future of driveline hitting and, and where you're going and, and where you do see uh, your ability to, to catch up and sprint after these guys and really uh, take it to a different level. Certainly the, bringing that weighted bat element, that changed the dynamic inside the cages for you guys. But from where you sit right now and you're looking ahead a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, where do you see it going, Jason? That's a great question. And, you know, I mean, step one is to continue research. I think that when we talk about biomechanics and, and understanding the swing, step one is collecting data on the best in the world, you know, and I think that we're still in that data collection process. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out there and, and lie to you guys. I, I think that we have a good idea of what the best in the world do, but we don't have any objective measurements of it. And that's not going to be the case in the near future. So uh, that's step one is like continuing to get really, really good hitters in here and start to understand what's actually happening. So I think that's step one. And then as far as the future for us, we really are um, excited about the assessment. You know, we're getting that out this year. Like we're going to the colleges this fall to run it for teams. We've got facilities that are having us do assessments for their athletes and pro teams out at Instructs and the spring trainer are going to have us out to, to run these assessments and really start to shift how people um, are looking at hitting development in general, right? This, because so much of it is just theory right now. It's just coaches looking at you hit and then giving their opinion. 
where it's like the technology now has allowed us to understand this stuff more. And the assessment is a tool for coaches. It's something that we can come in and generate these reports for you and then give them to you so then you can help your athletes. And the days of having to guess are very limited just because this technology is out there and we're able to truly understand this stuff. And I think that being able to get the assessment out and kind of shift how people perceive uh, hitting in general will be will be kind of exciting. And um, the next step is like with our tracking software, mm-hmm. which is basically it, the software is designed for us to be able to work with athletes and create individual programs for large groups of athletes. So long story short is facilities and teams that can get this software called track and they can have all their athlete profiles and they can give them all individualized programming so that they can all do their own thing and continually um, stay on track, pun intended. And um, for us, it's like the, the thing that's tough when you have a whole team and I'm not too far removed to remember when you're a college or high school coach and you got 15 hitters and two hours of practice, everyone's going to end up doing the same thing. You know what I mean? So this software allows us to, to write and design programs that are customized for the actual hitter. We could do it, you know, the morning of in a few minutes. So I think that, that's going to be really helpful for us is getting that software out to other facilities and teams. And then within that software is our bat speed program and a number of other things that, that we offer. So I think that it's going to be really big for drive by hitting. It's just to get that type of mentality out there because I think the biggest, uh, the biggest complaint I get from athletes and hitters in general is that everyone's doing the same thing. They're like, yeah, you know, our entire practice, we're doing all the same stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I'm five eleven. 170 pounds and that guy's 6'5", 260 and we're doing the same thing every day in the cage and uh, we're different hitters. So um, I think that the software allows for more individualized programming, which is just going to make everyone better, I think. Right. You know, and a, and a cheap coaching hack that came from one of our shows with Sean Larkin a few weeks ago just brought up that exact same point. When you're looking at your team and you're de- designing practice around that, why does BP have to look the same for all of our hitters? You know, if you've got 15, 20 guys in, in four or five groups, why do the rounds always have to look the same? I mean, you can go from a BP arm to the next group. They're working on a machine to the variability inside what those rounds are. So I think being yep. creative and thinking outside the box and and not as baseballists are, we get rooted in tradition, but at the same time really just taking a step back and uh, create an, an environment that's relative to my players on an individual basis. And to your point – that's where the true development comes from. When you find a way yep. to really uh, access who they are and, and attack those things they need to get better at, that's where growth happens. That's outstanding stuff, Jason. I got a couple questions left, man, as we're sure. getting the tail end of this. And, you know, you, you, you referenced resources and you referenced your, and I know you enough to know your ability to seek out information and, and connect with people um, or find articles or find materials that'll, that'll grow you personally. Uh, if you could, man, talk about resources that have been helpful to you as you develop as a coach. Where would you send guys paying attention to this? Uh, you know, not to <laughs> beat on a dead horse, but honestly, the ABCA has just been so helpful because it's all there. It's all centralized. And, you know, you, you could go into the site, say, uh, I, I want to look at the main stage speakers, click hitting, and then there's just so many videos on there. Yeah. It's actually overwhelming. Beat that dead horse, um, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that's a great place to start because you're, you're hearing from coaches that 
you know, they're out in the field doing it and they, they are you the, the guys that you get to speak are obviously having success. So I think that's an incredible place to start. Another resource for me, as I mentioned earlier, is just Twitter. And there's a lot of nonsense on there, but if you can find <laughs> some of the people <laughs> that uh, you trust, uh, there's just some incredible free content out there. And I feel like I'm stealing sometimes when when I hear uh, and, I, and the amount of stuff I've learned from guys on Twitter. Podcasts, there's a ton of free podcasts, or there's a ton of podcasts on the internet about coaching baseball and, and coaching in general. And I think that segues to the next thing. And I, I think a huge, a huge, uh, moment for me was when I started to look towards other sports and other coaches in other sports and how they do things. I mean, I've learned so much from TPI, which is a Titleist Performance Institute. They work down in Oceanside and it's golf. And they're very much um, on the cutting edge of how they train golfers, both in the weight room and and uh, with the skill aspect of it. Um, Altus, they work with Olympians and just learning from those guys. And they have a ton of content out there too, free content. And uh, just hearing how they solve problems and how those coaches think and the way that they uh, the way that they communicate with their athletes. I mean, everything is just really, really helpful. And I, I think that uh, looking at other sports is uh, is really valuable when uh, when you're coaching baseball players. Sure. Last question I got for you, man. The way we end our shows every time, I just want to get a little more specific to you. So we're thinking about a young hitting coach. There's plenty of those dudes out there. Advice for them, you know, coming back to your perspective, looking back at them, what would you offer? And then hitting coaches or just coaches in general, what are some things, Jason, you would offer that would send our guys down a better path? That's a good question. Um, That's why some we things I would, yeah, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> some of the things that uh, that really helped me, and it's just not necessarily skill specific, but but having a mentor, I think, was really helpful for me because as a young coach, you know, you you really are learning on the fly. You know, there's no, you know, I didn't get a minor in baseball coaching, right? So mm-hmm. being able to uh, to have somebody that is coached for years that, that can help me and Jake McKinley and Robert Pegg over at Vanguard have been my mentors. And so many times it's like, you know, I'm dealing with stress, whether it be uh, baseball related or not, like just being able to have a mentor has been incredible for me and like really helpful. I think um, what I'll tell a young coach is, is to <laughs> never stop learning, man. It's like the game is progressing. Even in the last four or five years, it's like it's changed so much. And the day that you think you've had it figured out is the day you die as a coach. And I think that we're seeing a lot of those guys getting phased out of the game. And and uh, it's interesting to observe how many people are, are young and um, young-minded and without – crazy playing careers that are making impacts in baseball at the That's college right. and professional level. I mean, there are guys like that never played, <laughs> never played a single professional baseball game that are decision makers in professional baseball. And that's that, you know, that wasn't the case 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I think a few years back, you know, no one would have cared what I had to say ever. <laughs> and uh, it's just interesting to see. And I think there's never been a better time to be a young coach because you're really based on, your knowledge more so than anything else and it's out there for the taking if you can put in the work and and really just dive in and and start to grow so much to take from this show jason just beyond thankful we can connect and get your words out there and again guys if you're interested in connecting with those folks over drive line do that Uh, but it's a great way a great way to really open the door when we start to talk technology we start to talk data we start to talk 
all the different ways you guys are assessing and developing hitters. It's a terrific way to connect with our coaches. So again, Coach Ochart, thanks for jumping on with us, Jason. We really appreciate the information. We wish you and you guys the best of luck, and we look forward to seeing you real soon. Thanks, Sheets. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing you in a few months now. Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. A huge thanks again to the great folks over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking at doing any upgrades at your facility, head over to astroturf.com. That's astroturf.com and see why they've been ahead of the curve for almost 50 years. Now here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, we're here to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org, for more information. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at ABCA1945. You can find us on Facebook as well. And feel free to reach out to me directly at any time on Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. As always, coaches, thank you for listening in and staying dialed into our podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.